Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with the market president and publisher at the Baltimore Business Journal. Please welcome Rhonda Pringle. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, this is this is going to be fun. My sister's name is Rhonda. So it's always like, all right, you know, like, am I going to get the little brother thing? Because she's my older sister. <laughs> At least it was easy to remember my first name. And my yes. last name is very easy to remember as well. I'm always telling people it's like potato chip. Just that, that you may have just given me out. a question to ask now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, again, thank you for joining the pod. And before we like really dive into the conversation, I start peppering you with all types of questions about your work and your background and all. But I want to open it up with um, the the you story, the the Rhonda Pringle story, and um, and what was your first experience in journalism? I read the there's a background of marketing and things of that nature. So if you could kind of lay that foundation for us. Well, I actually I'm a I'm a Southern girl. I was raised in Jacksonville, Florida. I've lived in a few places before moving to Baltimore, Dallas, uh, Phoenix, and I have just always been a media junkie. I I say that I sort of landed in the journalism by accident. I had an opportunity to intern while I was in Florida, and I got to intern in every department at our local newspaper. And I ended up loving the newsroom the most because my first internship, I interned in the sports department. Only female, just a bunch of guys sitting around throwing stuff at each other and cracking jokes. I thought that was pretty much a dream job. And so when I went back to college, that's what I decided to major in was journalism. And fresh out of college, got to cover a lot of community subjects, school board. Um, but really, my love for writing has always been around being creative. Yeah. So I think that's the one thing I was kind of looking for is how do I infuse creativity into just uh, my everyday journalism? Thank you. Thank you. So, so having the Southern roots coming up here. So I, I, I got to ask you, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't, is, is Baltimore Southern city? Cause you know, that's, that's the thing that's always yes, brought up. It absolutely is a Southern city. There's so much commonality between, uh, so I Jacksonville, I was at the Florida Georgia border where I was and it just felt so natural. Yeah. I mean, we, we like crabs and we eat a lot of Southern dishes and we say y'all still. I mean, it just feels right. When I went to Phoenix, now that was a whole different culture. And just, yeah. That I can was imagine. But Baltimore just felt natural. Yeah. Um, I, there have been times where I've traveled down into the South and uh, like New Orleans, for sake of argument. And I always look at one. New Orleans is a portal. It's, it's a portal to weirdness. I think Baltimore is very similar in that Absolutely. regard. And um, when I talk with people and say where I'm from, they say, oh, you're from BMO. And it's just like it's like I'm a cousin or something. And just because of where I'm from, from Marietta. Right. So Southerners have they're very familiar with you. They feel the right to, to hug you. That's what we call the Baltimore hug. Yeah. Like you don't know anybody and they hug you right <laughs> up. That's that's a Southern trait where we just feel like we can hug you. We can, you know, get in your personal space. And that's very different from, you know, other areas. We don't realize that till we go to other areas, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> so I, 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 so could you ex explain like what, could you describe what your work is as a publisher? Um, like what is it that you, you do with the Baltimore business journal? And cause I, 
like a minute, like a lot of people, they see they see the role, they see the title. It's like, what what are, what do you do again? What is that? So right, I, yeah, I get asked that all the time, and some people even think we're book publishers. You know, they see a publisher, and I get all these like, "Will you read my my book?" <laughs> Not what, <laughs> like, what I don't we, want your manuscript. <laughs> no, I a publisher is very much the CEO of the company, so. All of the other departments, the newsroom, sales and marketing, events teams all report up to me. And I'm ultimately responsible for all of operations and ensuring that we are delivering on our mission and most of all, the bottom line. So, right, it's, it's a business. I have to... I have to make sure we have the profits to keep all of our journalists employed. So it is absolutely, I call it a combination of public relations because I'm the front page, I'm the face of the organization. I sit on our boards. I moderate a lot of our events. So it's that, but it's also the operations. Yeah, that's that's huge. And I think making that distinction, it's um, it, I would imagine it can be a hot seat. I can imagine it also. Is, <laughs> I'm not the newsroom. Yeah. But the newsroom reports to me. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's a very interesting dynamic because I'll have a meeting with the CEO and he'll and they always go, I don't want this on the record. And I go, that's fine. Yeah. But I also will go back to the newsroom and I'll hear them talking and I'll know something that they don't know. Yeah. And if I don't and if I'm not at liberty to share it, I can't share it because I have to be sort of switched on where this is concerned. That makes sense. And I want to put a pen in that real quick because I'm, I'm looking at the order of my questions. I was like, all right, let's, you know, editing as I go along. So I am paying attention. It's just, you, you, you know, you've been in that, you've been in a seat yeah. before. Um, so touch on the, the mission uh, of the Baltimore Business Journal and what is it that really resonated with you? You said you had been there for like what, about five years in this role. So what, what is the mission and, and what about it like resonated with you? Well, the mission, our, our audience is, it's mainly business owners and CEOs, key executives. And our mission is really to help them grow their business, to advance their careers, and we say to simplify their professional life. That is such a unique mission and perspective for any media organization. How many, the New York Times does a great job, but they're not going to say it's to help you grow your business. No. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we have a very specific niche in that we're, we say we are a news and resource media company because yes we're going to report the hard news we're going to give you some stories but we're fortunate i say we're fortunate because it's pretty depressing that we don't have to write about crime we don't have to cover politics all the time we cover what's related to the business community and certainly crime comes up you know if somebody like t Rowe price says we're moving out of downtown we're moving to harbor point because of crime that's a business story and it's a crime related story but for for the most part, we're here to give businesses insight on what's going on in their industries. We write a lot about funding. We write a lot about um, what new businesses, what new executives are coming in town. So you should, as a business owner, be able to read our publication, get a lead, get a new business connection, find out an opportunity. Oh, they're looking for an attorney. We need to be on that. They're looking yeah. for a new, you know, contractor. We need to be on that. So that's what we get to do, and that's very gratifying. Yeah. And so I don't run into people who go, "Gosh, you guys are so biased." Or I'm <laughs> so. I mean, I'm just so tired of all this negative news. I usually get the, "Oh my god, it's so refreshing" when I get the Baltimore Business Journal. So that's yeah. that's nice because I've worked for dailies. I've worked for the largest U.S. publisher, Gannett, for almost ten years, and I. Didn't quite hear that when I walk indoors. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I I use 
Yeah, I use it as a resource, and I and I'll say like in in checking out the publication and also following on um, LinkedIn, I'm like, oh, this is what's coming up. This is the latest, like, oh, hmm, potential guests and things yeah. of that nature. And I look at it very much as a resource because, um, you know, there, you know, obviously, I, I look at arts and culture, and that's that's really the focus of what I'm doing. But I think culture ha- is is very broad, and I think, um, you know, small business is embedded in our culture here. I think uh, black owned business is a big uh, sector here as well. And, you know, a lot of uh, people who are artists are also entrepreneurs. They're selling their, they're selling their thing. So being aware of who's out there and possibly being in a spot where I can help facilitate and things of that nature, you know, there's a lot of businesses with bare walls. Hey, you know, you may want to get some art. from Absolutely. And we do a lot of focus on entrepreneurship and it's particularly for small businesses, black owned businesses, I think we really ramped it up at the pandemic because we wanted to hold all of these companies who were putting out these mission statements accountable. So you you. can just say, well, I didn't know they existed. We're putting them in front of you. They exist. Now they'll do the work that you said that you're interested in doing. I love that. I, I love that. And um, yeah, I mean, at, at one point and I, I was thinking, like, how can we put that out there? Because, you know, it, there was this this push that I had a while back and doing like sponsored content and doing like really timely and strategic content. And I was looking at like a cluster that was on like Howard Street of like black owned businesses that moved in and that that, that nice block with like vegan juiceology and Kaju having their um, their brick and mortar. I'm like. Why, why isn't anybody like talking about this? Like these are like four businesses that I was like, maybe I should do an interview series and mm-hmm. how, how do we go about it? And even with some of the um, businesses that are the, the, the vendors and such that are going to be in the new Lexington market, like there's different angles right there that can be done in a multitude of ways, whether it be print, whether it be through interviews. And I think going back to it sometimes, as you touched on, sometimes people need to be held accountable for we're doing all this great stuff. And you know, we've always done this. Cool. Keep doing it. Oh, do yeah. it right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of companies, a lot of large companies that said that they were putting aside specific money mm-hmm. to partner with minority owned businesses. And this is how you do it, you know, yeah. because the challenge with the small businesses and particularly minority and women owned businesses is we don't have the contacts. Mm-hmm. Right. We often don't get invited to to have a seat at the table. And so there's got to be some sort of connector. And we want to be that connector. I love that. So I want to want to go back to one of the um, no, actually, no. Uh, so let's talk about let's talk about impact a little bit. Like I want to talk about, um, if you will, any numbers that kind of like pop out, because I think. Sometimes people don't get it. We hear impact all the time. Like, you know, we're, we're impacting this sector. It's like, how is that defined? So uh, could you speak to that of any of the, the, the impact that, you know, you can hang your hat on from like uh, the Baltimore Business, Business Journal? I mean, I think we can, we can talk about numbers because we do have over 36,000 readers and we cover a lot of those companies. Um, um, we, we, we print the numbers every day. We say we're a data company. So if you, you picked up the Baltimore Business Journal, you know, we print two lists a week including the largest minority-owned businesses, large and women-owned companies. I guess I want to bring it closer to something that resonated with me during the pandemic. And that is that when when all of these companies were struggling, they were all looking for a lifeline. We had had businesses reach out to us because they couldn't find somebody to actually 
you know, look at their their loan applications. Mm-hmm. They were going to their own banks and they were being told that they were out of money. And so we were printing every day. We were publishing which banks still had PPP money. Mm-hmm. We were publishing who was doing free money, who was doing grants. Yeah. We were telling people how they could get um, their loans um more quickly um, pushed through the system and who was doing it best. At the time, it was Howard Bank. So it wasn't Bank of America. It wasn't Wells Fargo. It wasn't Chase. Oh, you need to go to this this locally owned bank, Howard Bank. They're doing three or four times faster processing these loans. So we were giving people that information. And we had these small businesses going, you you kept me from closing our doors. That's great. (laughs) And that's, to me, bigger than any specific number is, is how we make an impact. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. And thank you for, um, you know, being at the head of that, that type of work, because that's, that's the thing that, that people need when we, we start talking about, uh, when we have these conversations around like equity, not equality, but equity. And mm-hmm. it's like, sometimes you gotta, you gotta bring these things up and they're used interchangeably, but equity is like, all right, this is the things you guys don't know. Here you go. Let me help you yeah. out with that. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about leadership a little bit um, because, you know, as as you touched on earlier, you're you're in that role. You're like, first point of contact. Everybody comes up to me. uh, Jill is missing again. Ah." (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of doing like one thing well, like what do you like really look at as this? This is the skill that or the set of skills. But I think one thing well that really like sets you aside from like other leaders or what have you. What is that that thing for you that's like some people may be a people person. Some people are just to a fault intellectually curious, like, Mwah, you know, <laughs> but what would that that trait be for you? I think really being able to communicate a vision hmm. and a plan. Because not everybody, people can sometimes tell you this, this is what we need to do. But if they're not really able to express the overall vision for the company, because that sets the tone for everybody's work. This is where we are and this is where we want to be. And if you can get your team excited about that and not so much focused on you have to do it this way, because I always go, I am, you know, somebody who I I say I run a, a shop. And we all bake cakes and you can bake any cake you want to. But we all know at the end of the day, we want a cake shop that has lots of great cakes. Mm -hmm. And the recipe you use is your own. So that's what I think I've been good at is communicating a vision, uh, helping with the plan so that we all can get to where we need to be. Um, And it's kind of interesting because I find that one of the biggest challenges often with any company, including ours, even though this should be our specialist communication, so the fact that I can communicate that vision, but trust me, communication is still, I think, for many companies, the, the biggest challenge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And leaders, it's the biggest challenge. And I, and I think that's why going to the communication piece, I think that's why storytelling is at an all time high or at least the attempt at doing that. And. You know, there are so many calls that I get, so many emails that I get. Would you be interested in helping us? I was like, do I rock? With, do I like what you're doing? You know, that's that's really what it is. It's like having having some you know like barometer, having some scruples. I hate using that word, but it it sounds like it's appropriate. Of right. who you're going to work with. Storytelling is about influence, though, right? Too. So when you when you tell a story, you're certainly trying to tell it most of the time through a lens that allows people to connect. Mm-hmm. to impact them and sometimes to persuade them to think one way or another about something. Right. And so everybody's not good at that 
piece of the storytelling. And I think when you have a vision, you have to tell the story of your company and you have to get buy-in. People have to believe it. If you tell a story and people go, oh my God, that you ever watched a movie and you go, oh my God, that's such an unrealistic movie. I just couldn't get into it. Yeah. I, my friends hate to t- me to do movies because I'm one of those people who jumps ahead my logic. I'm like, oh, I already know what's going to happen. They go, <laughs> just enjoy the insanity and the stupidness of the movie. And I go, I, I can't. I can't separate the, how stupid the movie was. And so I think that just being able to share a vision that people can see yeah. with you is, is a strength. I feel like that was a series of air sign traits you were describing right there because <laughs> I'm, I'm relating to that a lot. And sometimes I'll just like blurt it out. Like I was watching a, a, a movie with my girlfriend uh, like last year, well, earlier this year, I think called Malignant. And I was like, oh, this is just I've a bad seen movie. That movie. It's one of those movies that's almost so bad it's good. Yes. But it's just got a lot of just. My friends, just just lean into it. Don't overthink it. <laughs> you're overthinking, you're gonna hate this movie. So yeah, and that was literally what happened. While we were sitting there, and then I was like, "Oh, this is just bad." Oh, okay, got it's it. So bad. And I could just turn this part off because I do movie review podcasts, so I have a critical eye, and I watch movies. I have to watch them like twice. And, and recognizing that one I'm doing for the enjoyment and the other I'm doing for the, 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 the critical consumption. And, you know, when I was watching, I was like, oh, I could just turn off all the critical thing right now. This is just me laughing because this is what this is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's knowing yourself. And um, I think that's a, that's a piece of it for. So this is, this is a this is a very interesting segue. I go back into this. So. For for you, what were some of like the lessons that you got early in your career through 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 college, what have you? That once you got into like you were told this is how this is how this works, this is how you go about this, and when you got into the actual practical application of it, what was the thing that you learned that this is not quite how this works? Well, the most recent lesson I've learned, and I think um, <laughs> the pandemic helped us learn this to some degree. You know you. I'm a I'm a logical person. I'm a business minded person. You hear a lot about ROI. We talk about return on investment a lot. And I told my team, I don't want to hear that word again. We're going to talk about return on effort because there's difference. Love it. And there's so much of what we do that is not worth the effort. You know, we always say not all money is good money. And the reason is because it doesn't make sense for what fills you, what you're trying to accomplish. It goes against your mission. It goes against your values. It goes against your time with your family that has some value. So I'm really interested now in everything I do. I'm always going, what's the return on the effort that we're putting in? And I I didn't do that even with the newsroom. We do great cover features. And I go, okay, all the reporters are going to dig into this story. What's That's a lot of effort. We We could do 20 stories. What's the return on that effort? If And they will come back and they'll go, but these are the kinds of stories we get awards for. And that makes everybody happy. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense for me. If that's what it takes to fulfill you, you got to do one something a year that you know you're going to get honored for, then great. Yeah. But we've got to get out of the bucket of saying, I, I, I need $2 for every dollar I put in. Mm-hmm. We, I just had to stop using that model because it was making... That's all miserable. Um, the other thing I've learned just from a management and leadership perspective, you know, when we first take on the reins of leadership, at least women, 
we feel like we have to adopt the traits of our male colleagues. And so you'll hear a lot of people, I, I've said it myself, oh my God, I hate working for women. I hate working for <laughs> women. Leaders, they're so hard hearted. They're so like, they just, I just don't like it. And that's yeah. because we are not encouraged to be authentic. Mm-hmm. We're encouraged to be smaller in some ways. And by that, I mean, dispassionate so that we're not viewed as overly emotional. And then at the same time, so you're dispassionate and now you're aloof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so men wouldn't be called aloof, but women would be called aloof. Like, oh, she's standoffish. I mean, and that's and all you're doing is attempting not to be overly emotional, to to really be logical in this situation, like a man would be, because you don't want to be viewed as you don't want to be othered. Yeah. And so I think that that I had to learn that it's it's okay, you know. Maybe being more empathetic sometimes is a strength. Maybe my all the things I bring to the table as a woman is a strength and not a negative. But as a society, we haven't haven't embraced that. And I I think to that point, some of the proof is in the pudding when you start looking at like the analytics of why people are leaving jobs, why people are leaving environments that that empathy isn't there. Not everybody's trying to finesse. Not everyone's trying to get over. And people are leaving situations that don't serve them, that don't fill their cup. And, you know, outside of a paycheck, like there have been, you know, times where, you know, I've gotten offers of, oh, here's a six figure job because I do a, I'm a data analyst in my day job. And it's like, oh, it's a six figures. So it's like, yeah, I'm not really into it. And it's like, but you should chase the money. I was like, eh. No, not really. No, not really I good. actually had an opportunity to, to go back and work for an, an old manager of mine who is now leading a really big company. And I said to the recruiting person, no, I've, I've been there and done it with that person. Mm-hmm. I don't, don't need to do that again. And it was it was almost twice as much as I'm making now. And yeah. I just just emotionally, it didn't mean anything to me. So, I mean, I think that we've 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 all learned some lessons around what uh, the value of our mental health, yep. the quality of our life. And so, um, yeah, that's been just, it's changed the game, I think. And I don't think it's going back. <laughs> I think we're prioritizing their mental health and their personal lives in a way that um, I don't, I don't, I think we just move forward from it. Yeah, 100%. So this is the last real question for you. Um, So I read uh, recently that uh, mastering the smaller details helps with confidence um, when you inevitably run into like those roadblocks, you know, because they're always going to be roadblocks. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you agree with this? And if so, how do you strengthen your confidence? So I think first, in terms of the smaller details, I I guess I'd more say just handling the small stuff. Instead of smaller details, we we have this um, saying that we say in our office, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Because that's all you can do. I mean, when it's overwhelming, all you can do is just tackle that one thing and then take that one thing and take the next thing. And if you want, as you start doing one thing at a time, it just gets the problem gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And it feels it starts to feel like it's something you can accomplish, something you can overcome. So that's what we do. I think you tackle one thing at a time. How many times do we have, and it's also perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So how many times do you look at something? And I think like a year later, two years later, you look back on that problem 
that you had labeled like a 10. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, that was like a, a five or six at best. Yeah. This is a 10. This next thing is a 10, right? Everything with perspective looks differently. And so I, I try to encourage my team to just bring perspective to it. And, and it's funny because um, you know, I do oversee operations. And so we have these sales objectives and I went over the sales goals with my team recently and they were just like freaked out <laughs> how big it was. And then I went back and I go, you guys, we've done this number before. Yeah. <laughs> we did this number before. You guys don't remember because some of you just joined the organization right before the pandemic, but we've done this number before yeah. in this very area. And then they go, oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess we did do that number. So you just sort of have to give people that perspective that they can do it. And, it. and it ties back into the vision. It ties back into being an evangelist. Uh, not, that's not the word you use, but being an evangelist for what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, I, in, in the position I've been in, I have to believe the thing that I'm doing before I can pitch it to anybody else. And I go back to a few weeks ago, I, I, I kind of split, you know, having like pretty much my off hours from the day job I'm doing, doing this sort of thing. And I just, it was a busy day. It was like six interviews, like pretty much back to back to back mm -hmm. and then still having like a data request. And I was like, who, how am I going to do this? And just know, I was like, no, nah, you're going to do it. And just kind of almost like checking in with myself. I was like, okay, one down yeah. did well two down did well. And then the guests are not like, it's not, it's not always things that I'm like super familiar with. So it's like, okay, how's this going to go? And the nature of what I'm doing, I barely know the people. So it's always certain things. It's like checking in with, with myself as I'm going along. And it's like, you're choosing this, you're going to crush it and, and know it. And now coming back from that, it's like if I had to do six tomorrow or seven tomorrow, I have that confidence of knowing that I've been there and I'm the person that's directing it. So I, I'm trusting in my own vision so, and yeah. being able to articulate that to people more and more, whether it be talking to funders, whether it be talking to guests who are like, oh, I haven't heard of what you do. It's like, cool, then let me tell you. And let me, here's an opportunity for me to impress you. <laughs> and sometimes it's just doing it. So you grow confidence, you find something you do well and you continue to build on it. You know, I, I joke with my team all the time because I live in my workspace an extroverted life. <laughs> I meet with CEOs all the time. I'm always in meeting. I'm on stage at all of our events. And people sort of see me like, you know, I go up kissing babies and shaking hands all day. <laughs> and I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. And so I had to build that level of confidence to be able to do that because it's not shyness, but it's just, it's just like a lifestyle you're not used to. Right, right. So it's kind of, it's out of your comfort zone. And there are other, like, listen to Chris Rock. He goes, I am an introvert. I go on stage. I put it all on stage and then I get off stage and I'm done. That's kind of how I feel as well. Yeah. It's all out there. It's, it's, a, it's an energy thing. Um, it's I've an done, energy thing. I've done more of these, um, like, live podcasts and speaking things and 
for like the first few minutes, I'm like, all right, let me get my bearings. But leading up to it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be something. And then I'm exhausted afterwards. But generally, I crush it. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. But when it comes to like some of the social things of, hey, we, you know, you've been invited to this and, you know, come out, kiss, you know, kiss the hand and kiss the babies and all of that. And it's like, Ooh. right. I, I mean, networking is so antithetical to anything that an introvert likes to do, like small talk. <laughs> And yet, because our organization is all about connecting other businesses, I've had to get good at networking. Mm -hmm. I've had to get good at small talk. And that is something now that I know how to do it. I, I can I can turn it on in a minute. I can walk in a room and be ready. But I just had to keep doing it. Okay. That's, that's, I think that's a good space for us to kind of wrap there on the real questions. And I can hit you with a few of these, these rapid fire questions. I'm going to give you the preface. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Uh, so since, since we just kind of got past on that, that, that last portion about networking. Um, so if you're, you're at a, let's say you're at a event, you're, you're, what is how do you how do you open up a conversation? That's the thing I always have trouble starting. I know a lot of people have trouble starting with that. And I learned something recently. I was just sitting at, I think, the uh, Sondheim Award being announced. And I was just talking to someone. I was like, one of these things are weird. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and we just kind of started talking after that on that kind of common ground. What is without context? What is the way that you kind of like start in a conversation when you're in a networking sort of event? What part of Baltimore do you live in? Uh, East Baltimore. You know, what area do you live in? I think everybody always starts yeah. with, what do you do? Yeah. But I think it, for especially here, it is such a conversation starter. People will tell you their whole lives. Oh, and they'll be specific. <laughs> too. They live in Pigtown. Yeah. They live, you know, and yeah, I grew up here. Or, you know, I, I grew up in the county, but I now, you will get their life story off of one Oh, and then because then I'll say, "Oh my gosh, you had a driver! Oh, you're right up the street!" Or, <laughs> you know, but, but you just you just do that kind of stuff. I mean, you got oh, me I there. Find that neighborhood. <laughs> oh, I almost moved there when I moved there. I mean, you just get a whole bunch of out of just a simple question like that. That's good. Like I said, you, you you delivered it so like just smooth. It was like black belt judo style. You got me. I was like, yeah, East Baltimore. Like, no, I'm giving you the example you just asked for. Gosh, well, you're right. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so when you're locked in, you're, 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 you're in there, you're in the office, you're, you're getting it, whatever it is, you're, you're working on um, some project, what have you, what are you listening to? Music, podcasts, audiobooks? What do you, what do you, what's, what's going on in your ears? I don't have anything on in my ears when I am in the office. And the reason is I keep my office door open specifically mm -hmm. so people can come in, um, anytime. Yeah. Um, the only other time, the only time I'm ever going to close the door if it's um, in a podcast or a meeting with a client. So I definitely don't have anything, you know, in my ears. But other than that, it's it's open door. And I, I feel like when I have something in my ears, people feel like they're disturbing me. Okay, that's fair. Um, <laughs> this is a, this is the one I just added recently. What is your go to karaoke song? I will survive. Okay, that, that was that was quick. That was a quick answer. I love it's it. It's very cool because I well I do I used to do karaoke a lot, so it it's that and it's a cross between Donna Summer because I do did a lot of Donna Donna Summer songs, but um, she I have a couple of favorites from her that I do, and then um, Sister Sledge's "We Are Family." So I mean, but I think "I Will Survive" is still the most fun. 
Okay. I, I try to get into character when I'm doing any karaoke and it's just either I have a transatlantic accent and I'm singing a song that it should not go to. Yeah. I mean, my the sad thing for me is I just aged myself because all of the karaoke songs that I like are from like the seventies and early eighties. People are always like trying to get me to do something recent, like Cardi B or something. I'm like, I don't know any of that stuff. I don't know any of the words. I mean, I know who sings it yeah. and, and maybe a few Beyonce songs, but for the most part, the songs that I remembered are dear to me and I know all the words without ever yeah. even looking at the karaoke. There's songs from the seventies and eighties. I, I will pull out an NXS song and I will pull out a Depeche Mode song. So that just, you know, I'll throw out my my 80s references. That's, that's what I got. Um, so you, you mentioned this. So two of these next two questions and I only got three left. These next two questions, they relate to pretty much as we were talking. So um, favorite potato chip flavor? Cerritos. OK. Any particular flavor? Just the plain original, not any of that sour cream burrito. <laughs> I don't even, not even the, the really hot ones. And it's so funny for my birthday, my team decorated my office in Doritos stuff. Nice. So they know, they know, yeah. and they know it's just the original. That's how I am about Topo Chico. I, I went to the uh, Best of Baltimore thing. They had the Topo Chico guy there. Uh-huh. And I was like, y'all don't have none of that grapefruit nonsense, right? I was like, y'all got like the regular, right? <laughs> and he was just like, yes. He's like, you seem to be a man of uh, great pleasure and great acknowledgement. So here's some socks and a bandana. <laughs> um, you used that cake analogy earlier that I really liked. Um, so what what kind of cake do you like? What's your, what's your favorite type of cake? Oh, it depends on, on the mood, but I'm deep down, I'm like, I'm a carrot cake person, which I think is... <laughs> This the southern thing. I love a carrot cake. I love a red velvet cake. But my grandma used to always make a really good pound cake too, mm. with that you know sour cream icing. Oh, but but I think if I just had to choose one, it would be carrot cake. So you had two of my top three cakes. The other one is tres leches. Like oh, that's really good too. Yeah, as they used to call it uh, when I worked in the Catholic Relief Services back in the day, they used to call it wet cake, and I was like, don't don't call yeah, it that. It's good. I was like, it's, it's delicious. We don't call it that. Make it make it better. Give it a better name. Um, this is the last one I got for you. Um, what world record? Because I've noticed during like the last couple of years, people have been bored and they've been able to break a lot of records. Like I've heard about dudes drinking Capri Suns in like 10 seconds. And I was like, how do you, what world record do you think you have a shot of beating? Who I think I drink more Cokes than any, I could do more than anybody at any one sitting. <laughs> Particularly Coke Zeros, because I actually think it tastes better than the original, and that's very rare. But yeah, I can drink more than anybody. Okay, that's a legit. Yeah. There, there may be a challenge coming from someone. I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, but I think that's where we'll stop at. Um, so I want to thank you for, for coming on to this podcast and indulging me and, and sharing your story and answering some of my rapid fire questions here. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check out you, the Baltimore Business Journal, all of that good stuff. So thank you very much. So is there a website that you would like to find folks to um, the listeners to check out? Yeah, I mean, they could just go to uh, BaltimoreBusinessJournal.com. As soon as you put it in or on any search engine, it'll come right up and um, check out check out our site. There's a lot of great content, especially if you're in the business community. It's it's I think I really think it's a must resource if you're in the business community. Well, there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank Rhonda Pringle from the Baltimore Business Journal for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there are businesses and resources in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for them.